Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette. And today we are covering a really important topic uh, that I don't think we talk about enough um, when it comes to different transitions that we go through in graduate school. Uh, the topic of today is uh, dealing with grief and loss in a doctoral program. We have a special guest. Her name is Dr. Rika C. Barden, and she's a graduate of the Joint Doctoral Program with San Diego State University and Claremont Graduate University. She received her BA in Psychology and Master of Teaching in Elementary Education from the University of Virginia and served as an elementary school teacher for 10 years. She also has experience serving as a literacy leader and university supervisor. Rika recently began her role as a postdoctoral faculty fellow at the University of San Diego as she, continue, she continues her work as a Black girlhood multimodal researcher who examines educational experiences through linguistic and equity perspectives. And she is also the founder of The Scholarly Sewist, a modern lifestyle brand and social community that centers women of color in academia via fashion. And the other thing I should mention is that Rika is a returning guest on our show. She was here for episode 66. <laughs> if you want to hear more about her and her work with the scholarly sewist, you can check out that episode. But I'm so happy to have you back. Welcome back, Dr. Rika. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you. Yay, happy to have you back. And now as a doctora. <laughs> Yes, I made uh, it to the other side. <laughs> yeah. So for um, folks who are new uh, to the podcast or who are hearing about you and your work for the first time, um, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and maybe a, a, a recap of what's been going on for you since we last chatted on the podcast, which was back, I was checking the records and um, it was June 2021 when we published your last episode. So a lot has happened since 2021. It's been at least a year and a half. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so I think the biggest thing that's happened in that time is I finished my PhD program. And for all of you who are in it, it does end. One day it is actually over. Um, so keep going, stay Stay the course um, and remembering your why. Um, I think there's so many pieces of that dissertation year and graduation that it truly is exhausting and overwhelming and amazing and isolating all at the same time. So I think remembering to pause and celebrate and um, you defend, which is such an emotional and draining day. Like it's the culmination of your work and the years of studying. And then there's kind of like mini celebrations along the way. So you defend and then you start getting emails that actually say doctor. And then it's like, oh, then you still get to graduate. And then your degree comes in the mail. And then if you order copies of your dissertation, so I charge everyone to own it. Like you did this work, you finish, you deserve to love on yourself. You deserve to celebrate. You deserve to sit in your accomplishments, especially as women of color. Do not move fast past that. Do not think like, oh, I'm just like my cohort members and other people. There are not that many of us. So sit in that celebration. Um, and then I think the other big part was 
the job hunt, which is daunting in itself for anyone who's finishing a dissertation while you're going to day-long interviews, um, multiple faculty presentations. It's a lot. And I think from that, I actually chose a postdoc. And I would like more people to know that postdocs are really good options. So not overlooking that um, when you are doing your own job hunt. And now I am happy starting my second semester in my two year long postdoc at the University of San Diego, where they're really just giving me these two years to teach some classes in their PhD and teacher credential program, as well as digging into my own research, pulling things out of my dissertation, thinking about what my next study is, having writing and resource, um, writing and research resources there for me. So I'm really excited. Well, I want to say congratulations, felicidades. You're right. It is such a big deal. And I'm so glad that you're reminding folks to celebrate themselves, love on themselves, and that this is not just a you know thing that you can race through, that you really gotta spend some time and and I like that you actually pinpointed the different um parts where you're reminded of the accomplishment um, and of the celebration. Uh, so thank you for that reminder. Um, so a, a lot has happened in since June 2021. And today we're actually covering, uh, you know, a slightly different topic, but definitely has impacted your journey and your trajectory and probably also the way that you do your work too. So um, can you uh, start by sharing with us what prompted you to want to come today to discuss the topic of grief um, in a doctoral program? Yes. So while we can talk about all the other moments, the coursework, the writing, the rejections, the dissertation committee, the ups and downs, the struggle for women of color, which I experience all of those things along with my celebrations, I never knew that part of my doctoral experience was going to be inclusive of losing my little brother to colon cancer in 2021. So I wanted to make sure that people know that they're not alone. I wanted to remind all of us to give ourselves way more grace because real life happens when you're in a doc program. When we think about the longevity, like people are in programs for four or five, six plus years, real life is going to happen. And I knew that I had seen women have babies, get married, um, move. I'm one of my cohort members um, had to go through for breast cancer. So I knew I was very open to things happen, but when it happens to you in such a personal way, it shifts everything. So my timeline goes back to February, 2020. I was actually in Switzerland. We did a research abroad program while we were in Switzerland, COVID-19 was gearing up oh, and, wow. in Europe. And so it was like, we got there. If anyone is familiar with Switzerland um, culture, you do three kisses on the cheek, <sighs> right, left, right, or maybe the other way around. But in the 10 days we were there, we went from greetings of the cheek kisses to let's just touch our shoes together because COVID is here and our government has cracked down. So mm. already having this weird what is happening, I'm not home, get to coming back March 13th, campus shut down. So now it's, I just got back. Now life is changing. Now we're going home. So now we're all on lockdown. Um, I moved to San Diego five years ago. So most of my San Diego life is school. Mm. I started my program shortly after moving. So my friends, my associate, my 
really meaning for being here is so related to school. So then what happens when that is physically taken away from you? So I'm isolated, we're in lockdown, I start doing the classes, April goes by, all the classes are online and May comes around and May is when my brother was diagnosed. So for months he had been having issues, like something's not right. My brother is literally one of the smartest humans I've ever met and is always researching something's going on. Mm. Maybe it's IBS, maybe it's this, what am I doing? We're seeing specialists, but also this is running up with COVID. So it is harder to get in physical um, spaces. It's harder to get appointments with specialists um, because if it's not deemed an emergency, some things were put to the back burner. Um, So it got to the point, I'm also 3,000 miles away. So I'm not where my brother and my parents are. And my brother and I are super close. Like we're five years apart, but are just have always been that person who gets each other more than anyone else in the world. And my mom says, oh, Greg is his name. Um, Greg isn't feeling good. I was like, if he called you, it means it's big. Like Mm -hmm. go to his house. And I'm feeling so helpless from so far away. And basically my brother's birthday was May 8th. So on May 8th, 2020, my parents went to go pick up my brother to take him to the doctors. And I'm just like, take him. I don't care if he wants to go. I don't care what you have to do. We need to figure out what's wrong. And they take him to the doctors on his birthday. They admit him, start running tests. He's in the hospital and by himself because this is the beginning of COVID. So no one can be in there with him. They're not letting any guests. No one can even see him. Um, He's in there for a week. And I remember taking a walk with my now fiance just to get some outside time. And my brother said, it's cancer. And I remember just crashing, just falling to the ground because it just seemed so, so unreal. And for someone who was the healthiest person in our family, always ate well, didn't drink, like there there wasn't someone with the bill of health. And we all know that that means relatively nothing when it comes to cancer, but to be so thrown off. And then it was not just cancer, it was stage four colon cancer that had spread. And he was 29 years old. So all of this is just heart-wrenching. And it also, I'd never experienced loss before. So I'm coming place where the only people who I knew close to me who had passed were my grandparents. Mm. And so to be in a space of never even seeing this, like my mother didn't have close people who died. Like where we were, we were in a family space where young people hadn't passed Mm. in our family. So even the mental picture of what does this look like? What can happen? This cannot be God's plan. Like it just, none of it makes sense to me. So now I have to sit with this diagnosis. I'm in California, it's COVID, it's a lockdown. And I'm just now figuring out how do I get home? Because none of this matters. None of it matters right now. And my brother and I, I've always been close, have open dialogue. And he was like, no, you don't have to come. No, you don't have to come. Like all of our conversations. And one time he was like, well, if you want to, that was my opening. So I think it was May 25th. I put, I literally put on a hazmat suit and goggles and a mask, a K95 mask. Like I got on the six hour plane and I went home and 
that was the beginning of being with him during his journey. Luckily, because it was COVID, I was able to take classes online. So mm -hmm. I was able to still do school from Virginia. And at that point, the doctors said that he had about six to eight weeks to live. And it was hard. <laughs> I mean, there's been nothing else in my life that will ever compare. I don't even see the ability for anything else to compare even after. Um, but it changes you to the core. It yeah. changes how I show up in the world, what matters, what doesn't matter, my outlook, how precious time is. And I think we all know these things, but the cruel reminder of it when someone so close to you passes. And it's so hard being a spiritual person who grew up in the Baptist church, who has an intimate relationship with God, you, you start questioning in a way that I never had before because I need this to make sense. And as a researcher, someone who works with data, someone who wants like truth, like this is what I look for. I look for yeah. truth. Mm -hmm. None of this makes sense. None of this can be true. And the only way that I really put it together is our blessing was that we had nine more months. So while the doctor said six to eight weeks, my brother, my brother lived for nine months after that and defied every science and data point and statistic. And now I realized the time was our blessing because I needed every moment of that. Mm. Thank you for sharing. And uh, sometimes I, um, I'm very rarely at a loss for words, but I just, everything that you said, I just, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I just want to say that I'm, I heard you. I am glad that you were able to have the extra time that you did with your brother. I don't know how you managed to continue taking your classes during that time. Um, I'm, I'm wondering um, what was it like for you after because it takes it it's a whole, we were talking about before the the recording about how um when you experience uh a very uh big like loss of a loved one it's a lifelong healing process like you just don't like you don't just kind of fully like get over it it's just always going to be there and it's almost like unlocking um a river like sometimes there are moments that are, are can be triggering um uh, to that grief process um and so I'm wondering like how did you navigate the that period after he passed you knew it was coming you had a little more time than expected but it's still it's never enough time so um what was that like for you if you're comfortable sharing Yes. So I think the first thing is therapy. No one should have to do this alone. So I definitely advocate for therapy and looking up um, resources. So if you're employed by your um, university, there should be like employee benefits or employee assistant programs that will give you some free sessions. Um, but really knowing that you have to take care of yourself to the best of your ability to even be there. Like, I, I am so grateful for my parents. We've always been such a very close knit 
immediate family unit. It was the four of us forever. And I started therapy when he got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely think that helped. And so it was through those sessions, really talking about anticipatory grief, like what you do with all this, how you still stay present when your mind is in 14 million places at one time. Um, I also feel that my brother and I were so connected through it all that there were, there were no, I wish I would have like throughout our whole life, we've been very comfortable talking about anything. And I mean, we talked about death and it's just a testament to who he, I always still say is like, he's very much still here. Um, Although I understand it's not an earthly sense, but he's always with me. So I probably will go in and out of present and past tense, but we talked about death. We talked about his wishes. We talked about um, how he was feeling. So there were no moments um, that I didn't, I didn't feel that I didn't use the time with him well. What I always feel is that I didn't have enough time. Mm. So the therapy really helped. Being at home helped. So I was able, because of COVID, to be able to be in Virginia a lot. And sometimes I came back to um, San Diego, like my lease was up at that point, um, trying to do different things. I'm also in what has been transitioned to a long distance relationship at this point. So there's so many pieces. I'm um, finishing up coursework to move into dissertation phase. So there was a lot. I think therapy was amazing. Being with my family was amazing. I had one friend whose mother... um, had autoimmune um, other issues. So we created a COVID bond, like we would test and we would see each other. But having that person, and it was just the two of us, we shut all our other friends out because these early months were before vaccines, before Mm, anything. So what I wasn't going to do was to ever feel that I was bringing anything back into the home and where my brother was so that was helpful because you do need outlets and to be pushed into a caregiver role there wasn't anything that I wouldn't do for him however it takes a lot on both of you to prepare food to be there to see someone declining physically who you've known your whole entire life it just day by day, it's overwhelming. Um, So making sure school did serve as an outlet to be able to get my mind off of something so hard and be able to pour it all into something else. Um, I actually had six publications, three peer reviewed during my doc program. And that is not you not typical and please you may not need to do what I did but I do know that keeping my mind on something helped and it just shows like who Greg and I are my brother interviewed for a new position while he was at a treatment so the nurses Mm. unhooked him and my mom put his button up one so he could take this interview and he landed a six-figure job while going through cancer treatment so my why and my go finish was all him and Mm. it was I started this he knew I was doing it he was so proud of me And I just remember him saying, wow, my sister is going to be a professor. Mm -hmm. So there was no option to not finish. There was no option to not see it through, but it was hard. Oh my goodness. Um, 
when you said there was no option I can imagine that you finishing is almost like in in his memory you know um that's why there was no other option um you know I uh the only real experience I have of, of facing like a uh, major loss um was losing my dad at age 12 and you saying that brought to mind a memory of um my father passed away and he was very physically fit and I never liked working out um, and I never liked running, uh, but I decided the year after he passed away, I'm going to run the LA marathon <laughs> with very little training. I just <laughs> signed up and went and no, wasn't an option. I, with blisters and with, I couldn't walk for days afterwards, but I got it done. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's um incredible the 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 level of like motivation and determination that you have when you're doing something on behalf of someone that that marked you know such a big it made such a big impact in your life and I also heard you the other things that I heard you say were like sharing some of the things that were or have been helpful to you which um include your ther therapy, your family support, strong family, um, your closeness, and also having a friend that you were able to lean on in a safe, what, what, what felt like a safe way at the time. And then also using your schooling um, and your work as an outlet for that. I'm curious if um, at the time, if you mentioned or disclosed what you were going through uh, to your the folks that you're working with whether it was your advisor or um, anyone else that you kind of were involved in collaborations or any kind of dissertation work with yes and I think that um speaks to some of the relationships that had been built. So my advisor knew exactly what was who what was going on. Um, and I will definitely credit San Diego State um, for the support. There was no question of me taking time off or what that meant for the courses that I was teaching. I took um, six weeks off. So um, it was more than necessary. And the first week was literally the week my brother transitioned. And then the five were, whew, what happens directly after is so like out of body. But I remember just being jolted awake, like wondering if he needed something or if, if, I, if I needed to be somewhere. And then the realizations, like for the first thought every single day to be you having to remember that someone's gone, I don't wish it on my worst enemies. It is one of the hardest things to do. Um, but I took those next five weeks off. And when I tell you, the way colleagues and cohort members were like, I got this class, send me your syllabus, I'll teach two weeks, I'll grade these. I mean, the outpouring of support. And again, this is from my new home, like the people in this space that I had have only been for a few years. So it felt very comforting to not feel like I had to stop because I thought about that. The first instance was, I'll quit all of it. Like none of this matters. Like my family matters. Mm -hmm. um, but also that, what would Greg want me to do? Mm -hmm. What what would actually build up and honor him? Mm -hmm. And it was finishing. So to be able to have that space and have people support me and then some people you honestly feel like they don't need to know so mm -hmm. I will be late on this email I will turn in this document when I finally get around to it but the way you reprioritize after a life-altering event is really interesting um and 
I remember, and some people don't know what to say. And I think that was some of the biggest learnings in grief. A lot of people don't know what to say. <laughs> and while you don't want to fault them, it's also what you need in the moment shouldn't be suppressed by trying to make someone else feel better about mm. what they said wrong. So it's a delicate, like, I definitely recommend, there's a book called It's Okay Not to Be Okay by Megan Devine. And when I tell you it is one of the best reads ever, um, she experienced her fiance or husband in a traumatic accident and lost him instantly and talks about um, grief from a very practical modern space. And I really liked the book. And one thing it gave me was language for what I was experiencing. One thing that people like to do, um, and usually people who aren't that close to you, is add on their grief story. And in that beginning moment, I don't care. And that sounds so bad, but what is on my load, my heart, my spirit, my mind, I'm trying to literally find reasons to get up in the morning. I don't have space for other people's grief right now. And maybe in a week or two, maybe if I asked you about it, but right now, I don't have those space. I can't hold anything else because I don't even feel like I can hold this so being mindful of the heaviness and I don't think you know to do it unless you've experienced it because there's a way to also talk about your grief there's a time to bring in a loss but the book gave me the language of out of order death and giving that language I was like that's it when someone's 100 year old grandmother passes I can't pretend that that's not a loss I know that there is a loss there there is a grief there but there's also a space for the out of order when your 29 year old perfectly healthy brother passes from a cancer that people are telling people not even to test for until 45 or 50 mm -hmm it's a different space. It takes a different rationalizing and sitting with. And so that was super helpful to have the out of order grief. The book also said, grief will rearrange your address book. And that has always stayed with me. Some people who were your friends, who were close associates will not be after your grief. And not mm. to say it's a bad thing, friendships come and go people rearrange but when you are in this space what you need whether you know you need it or not is so particular and not everybody has that capacity or maybe they don't have that capacity at that time so I'm not saying that you go and strike people out but what naturally happens is the people who are giving you a little bit you're going to keep coming to and nurturing those relationships. And the people who are making it feel heavy or making it feel like you don't have an open space to talk or by you sharing is bringing them down, it's gonna fade out because you have, I'm a new person. Anyone mm. who met me after my brother's passing, this is a different Rika. I am still trying to figure out if she's better or worse than before because everything about me believes that the level of happiness that I could obtain and get to knowing that a bro my brother was a part of my life, it doesn't exist anymore. And on one hand, that is so pessimistic. And it's like, what am I living for if I can't ever get to this space of happiness? But therapy also taught me like, it's okay to be okay. <laughs> there are gonna be days that just being okay is good enough. And mm -hmm. I think it's always also the way we use wording change for me. 
Like people are like, are you feeling better? There is no better. If Greg's not coming back, <laughs> there's no better. So did I get up today? Did I shower today? Did I take a walk or did I stay in the bed? Is that what you're trying to ask? Because better doesn't seem to be a word that I can associate to my life. Are you feeling better? I can't, I can't imagine asking that. Are you feeling better? No. Better than what? No. What's, what's the bar? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask um, about like what was helpful and what wasn't helpful necessarily, um, you know, throughout your grieving process and, and as you were finishing your doctorate program, but I feel like you, you really covered it in, you know, you went straight into what was helpful and then also like acknowledging that, you know, uh, a lot of folks uh, don't know what to say, or a lot of folks um, may distance themselves from you because they don't want to be in, you know, sitting in that that space of discomfort, or um, maybe they center themselves in their grief, you know, when you mention something, or uh, it could be a number of things. Uh, it's it's just not a topic that a lot of people are willing to face. Uh, openly especially especially because then if you know they implicate themselves and the finiteness of our own lives and etc cetera, etc cetera. is there anything else that you wanted to highlight about what maybe was less helpful just so that those of us that may have close ones loved ones who are dealing with their own grief that way we kind of can be better loved ones better friends better family members better community members um and if not that's okay if not we can kind of go into advice for folks who are in in it in the thick of of that's that grieving process uh, of their own yeah yeah I do think there's some tips for people who have someone close to them because I I think there should be space for us to learn how to be better. And I completely acknowledge that I probably did something on my own don't do list prior because until you've experienced it, you don't know what's helpful. And one thing is say their loved one's name, the mm. feeling that even though Greg won't physically be in 2023, being able to say his name, hearing other people say his name, sharing memories is so helpful. It's so heartwarming. I think another thing is realizing that the way Western societies, America has really put this like early grief, later grief, one day you leave this grief process mm. is a lie. Like mm -hmm. this is this is a forever process. Like, so expecting people to do it some way or not do it a way. I had someone saying, oh, well, you're, you're doing it pretty well. Like you're, you look fine. Like you've seen me for 30 minutes. Mm. I, you didn't know what it took to leave my house today. You didn't. So thinking before some of those conversations, also the texts that are just like, hey, I'm thinking of you. Mm. I literally don't know what to say, but you were on my mind. That's fine. I may not want to say anything either, but at least I know there's someone who's acknowledging that this is happening in my life right now. Another thing is give people food. And that sounds so basic, but I think it's so helpful. And honestly, pick the food for them. Like people who know like, oh, we went to this restaurant and I know this person like this. I never could have imagined that thinking of something to eat would be one of those things that I just can't do it today. I don't want to make any decisions. I don't want to leave my bed. If I have to cook something or even tell you what to get for me, I'd just rather lay here. So thinking of those little things that can be done. I had 
a friend who literally said, I don't even want to come in. I'm not going to make you talk, but there's a gift card and wine at your door. Like, Mm -hmm. so thinking of ways that show that you are there, that you are mindful, but don't cause like aren't energy um, or stressors, like don't Mm -hmm. take energy from the person because that's literally what people are tapped out of, especially in the beginning. And while it doesn't get easier, I get more used to it. I get used to that anything can trigger me today. I get used to that. I like the analogy of grief waves because Mm. some of them are little waves, but some of them come and knock you over and you never know when it's coming. I think that was one of my biggest fears. Like I'm going to be trying to defend my dissertation and I'm going to break down. Like, because I have no clue when the wave's going to come. And luckily it didn't happen. I almost had it because I had a slide honoring Greg at the end and everyone starts tearing up and it's like guys I got one more slide like let me get through this one more slide but it was really special to even have that um so yeah I think all of those are tips and also it's okay if you mess up just try again better none of us know how to do this it's a very messy process what your friend or loved one needs in month two may look very different from what they need a year from that. So check in, like when they have the energy, what is helpful? Can you list the three restaurants you like so I can bring this? Or would you like, can you tell me a story about them? Or even texting at weird hours because the way your sleep is thrown (laughs) off. So... (laughs) Most people are either sleep all the time or up all the time. Mm. So knowing that there's space for you to come in, however it feels comfortable for you too. That is really, really helpful. And I especially like the part where you said that it's okay to mess up. And so long as you keep trying, Um, because I think that folks can, you can usually tell, you know, when someone's making an effort versus when- they're not you know when they're being careless or insensitive um well now I would love if you have any words of advice for folks who are in the thick of it and when I say in the thick of it is like uh, are experiencing a recent loss or they are struggling with grief because it could be something from a year, two years, or much longer. And uh, we we all experience grief very differently. Like you said, the waves are real and they um, hit you at any point. And just when you think you're, oh, things are getting better, it can come back and hit you uh, hard. So, um, and so many, I mean, I feel like grief is one of those topics that like all of us have experienced it in some way, shape, or form, just to different extents and severities. And so yeah, I feel like this is words of advice for anyone, but especially for those who feel it a little bit stronger right now. Definitely therapy. Get yourself into therapy. Um, and also really take a second to decide what is best for you, not the timeline that you had set up, what you think your parents or significant others need from you. Like, what is your timeline? Because you can take a semester off. If you think that that is best for you in this time and this place to sit in your grief in a way that could be very healing to you, then do that. There is no necessity that I have to finish what I started and I have to finish it in this timeline or space. I think being very open with those people who do need to know, um, like, hey, I need to readjust this assignment. I need this extension and giving as much or as little information and explanation that you feel comfortable with because it's your grief. It doesn't have to be, and it won't be shared um, in the same way with anyone. But I think the biggest thing is like giving yourself grace. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. It is such 
there's another quote it said basically like your grief experience is just as unique as the love you had for that person right that's beautiful (laughs) so just the way we love and experience love there's no way to duplicate the way you're going to grieve. Um, And that was the other grief is just an extension of the love. So if you loved your person, (laughs) you're going to grieve just as hard as you loved. And it is challenging. It changes. um, And just figuring out how you want to live with your grief because it ain't going anywhere. So what do you need to set up? I think more practical things. My therapist was really good at like, did you drink water? Did your body see the sun? Yeah. Did you move today? So thinking about those little things and um, just reading about like, I never knew that grief brain was a thing, but it was harder to read after and then there's science and data on that your cognitive skills are depleted and decreased in grief and I'm like it never took me this long to read an article but now I'm like I don't how am I gonna finish so some things had to be on audible like some things had to be in stages and I had to give myself grace with this was not going to go as fast or as smoothly as I thought it was before that um that's the first time I hear about that about grief brain so I'm glad that you mentioned it um I know it's not the same but for those of us with chronic illness like we experience a lot of brain fog mm-hmm. and um I know a lot of folks who have yeah, had COVID and things like that they've also experienced that kind of like the fogginess um and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, like just even learning about different ways, uh, modalities or different kind of forms of, of learning and doing your work um, can, can help you through that process. If you're experiencing, you said gr- grief brain or how? Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that those quotes that you mentioned earlier really got to me. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like that's a beautiful way to end the episode. Can you remind us one more time the quote about how your grief is just as unique as yes. yeah. your grief experience is going to be just as unique as your love for that person? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to that's that's going to be the quote for today's episode. And um, I want to thank you for for coming on today, for honoring Greg's memory and talking about him and being so open um, and honest about your experience. And for folks who, um, you know, uh, feel like they resonated and they want to connect or they want to follow or they want to be in touch, is there a way for them to reach you? Yes, please do. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now TikTok as the scholarly sewist. And I mean, drop in the comments, tell me your loved one's name. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me know if you want me to reach out with any resources. I think also we need to have more of these conversations. I was telling Yvette, this is hard. This is the first time I think I've been this open Um, but this is also part of my healing to be able to share. And if this story helps one other person know that they're not alone and however they choose to maneuver, um, it's okay. I'm so honored that you came today to talk about this. Like I said, it's very, it's a very important topic, but I was also nervous going into it because I'm like, well, it's a tough topic and I'm also very sensitive (laughs) Amazingly, um, I felt that the space was here, and I again always feel comfortable having conversations with you. So I thank you for understanding the importance and giving me a space to share because it really helped me today. The 
um, anniversary of Greg's death is February 26th. So we're about to hit two years and really just mm-hmm. talking to my mom, the outside world thinks that time heals all. And we know that in this, it doesn't. And for me, it's like this false narrative that, oh, you're more okay than you were. But when I tell you, I can remember every single moment of our last moments together and the days right after I wake up and have flashes of seeing him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nowhere near over. Um, so I'm grateful for this space to share and keep keep moving through my my grief journey. I keep getting chills with you talking about it. And um, I really do think that he's here with you, um, you know, that he's still here with you uh, in spirit. And um, yeah, I before I start crying, I'm just going to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I so, so appreciate you. And um, yeah, um, I... I'm so glad that you have had the time that you had with your brother, Greg, and that you shared such a strong bond and love together. And he's always going to be with you, you know, in in spirit, because like you said, we got to say their names and we got to keep remembering. And that's how we honor them. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school fem touring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtouring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Fan Touring. Thanks again, and until next time.